It's news to us live on Adobe Radio the week of November 23rd, 2020. Welcome to the show. Uh, apparently, the election is still going on. I thought that that already ended and we had a winner, but apparently not. According to DJT and his legal team, what the hell's going on there? It's not looking good for DJT, though. Uh, we got breaking news, Eddie. Uh, breaking news right in the intro of the show. What is it? This better be good. DJT is uh, formally... Uh, acknowledging Biden's win and their oh, moving to thanks. transition. Now we got to throw out the whole show. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate uh, that. He's not acknowledging Biden's win. He's letting them move into transition, but is saying that he's still uh, hopeful that nah. he will he's prevail. He's really, done. really bad for the country. I mean, really bad for the show, but really good for the country is what I was trying to say. That's that's just uh, all right. Well, we'll we have something else to talk about. We can um, we we'll talk about Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, everybody's favorite senator. He uh, may have committed a felony, and um, he should be prosecuted. Is well, he here tonight? He may be making an appearance. Ooh. You never know, quote unquote, Lindsey Graham. Um, also, uh, you know, when the election ha- happened, uh, we were a little bit concerned on this show that still 73 million people appeared to have voted for a racist. Well, not appeared to, did, uh, in the form of a, a vote for Donald Trump. We're going to try to make some sense of that with our guest, Ted Johnson. He's a senior fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice, and his work explores the role that race plays in electoral politics. So that should be really interesting. He might be able to kind of uh, enlighten us a little bit and uh, share a different perspective that and more, I'm, yes. I'm really excited to talk to him. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And uh, Chris is here too. There he is on his brand new mic. Hot mic. Hi, Chris. And, well, we, lost and we lost him or something. We can't hear him now. <laughs> <laughs> I think he needs to turn up his mic volume or something. That's weird. We spent all this time checking his mic before the show, and then as soon as we go to him live on the air, of course, it doesn't work. It's news to us with Eddie, Jason, and Katie. That's the joy of doing this show remotely. Yes, uh, Chris, I think he's trying to say something. Hey, uh, am I back? Yeah, that. You're what back. happened there? All right. Wi-Fi going? I don't know. I think. I don't think so. I think I. I'm telling you, I have the volume so low on my mic. I think it just sort of was at like a one and just kind of sagged into zero and cut me off. <laughs> it sagged. Well, I got this mic volume. Sagged. Nobody likes saggy mics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the saggy yeah. mic. Saggy mic syndrome. It happens as mics get older. They tend to sag a little. They it's, sag with age. Yeah, it's normal. On uh, Before we get into Lindsey Graham and what's happening with uh, Trump and his legal case and the election, first check in with social media. Katie, anything interesting happened on the socials this past week that you want to mention? I, I had something here, but I wanted to check with you first because you're a social media manager. Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. It's been pretty run of the mill. Yeah, just a lot of what uh, you commenting on different posts and getting into yeah. flame wars. The usual yeah. conversations. We call that engagement. 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 You're an engagement specialist. I, t- I like to call it conversations. Mm. You're the pro, not me. 
I yeah. like to conversate with people. You do. Yeah. There you go. We did post a disturbing photo of Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> he gave a press conference. Did you guys see this press conference he gave where the hair dye on his head started to leak and melt off his face? <laughs> that was great. He's starting to melt. <laughs> did you see that, Chris? Such a winner. I, I saw something about it, but like <laughs> I didn't like uh, open the image and like like inspect it. I kind of saw him like have his hand to the side of his face and look embarrassed, <laughs> and I scrolled by. Yeah, oh, it was God. it was really he's bad. He's under a lot of stress. He's just sweating so profusely. If you're sweating your hair dye out, you've got bigger issues. Like, oh. If you want to so see gross. the photo of the hair dye just dripping off his skull. Um, we did uh, tweet the photo out. It's news to us on Twitter. And then we asked people to caption the photo of Rudy Giuliani melting. And uh, here are a couple of those responses for the caption. Call Batman. The penguin is loose again. Uh. <laughs> it really did look like the penguin melting. Uh, you know, Danny DeVito. Uh, somebody said shitters full Clark. <laughs> Sick. That's what it looked like, too. It looked yeah. like shit running down his face. And then somebody else uh, commented, shit for brains. But there you go. Um, go look at that photo if you haven't yet. By the way, at that same press conference, Rudy Giuliani, he uh, took a handkerchief out of his pocket. He blew his nose. And then he opened it up, snot side out, and then used that side <laughs> of, the, of the handkerchief to, to wipe his brow. And he smeared Yay! boogers all over his face. Oh, oh my god. And we have video of that as well. <laughs> America's mayor. <laughs> Remember when this guy was so respectable after yeah. 9-11? Never forget. <laughs> never, never forget. Never forget. Never forget. Uh, you know what? You know what this reminds me of, Rudy Giuliani? He reminds me um we all remember that uh the movie Billy Madison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the mom like yeah. has the kid blow into the handkerchief and then she like rubs it all over her titties. That's what this reminds me of. <laughs> I watched that like a couple months ago, and I not remember that. Oh well, <laughs> rewatch it again, my friend. Yeah, oh. disturbing. Well, our dirty deeds, part one. Senator Lindsey Graham may have committed a felony. It's news to us. The dirty deeds. An in-depth look at this week's most important stories. But real quick before we talk about uh, Senator Lindsey Graham may or may have committed a felony, our topic, uh, who is Lindsey Graham? I mean, we all are. We talk about Lindsey Graham a lot on the show, but uh, just a little refresher, uh, background information on Senator Lindsey Graham in case you don't know him. He is a, quote, confirmed bachelor, and he is the uh, senator from South Carolina. (laughs) Confirmed in quotes. Well, more on that, more more on that in a second. More on that in a second. The reason why I even bring that up, uh, well, you'll it'll be clear in a second. He's a senior United States senator, and he's held his seat since 2003. A member of the Republican Party, and has served as chairman of the Senate Committee on the Judiciary since 2019. Uh, just to let's talk about his policy a little bit. The type of guy he is. Here's a, a an uplifting quote from Senator Lindsey Graham. Quote: If you are a young African. American or an immigrant, you can go anywhere in this state. You just need to be a conservative, not liberal. 
All right. That was like a month ago. Winning. He said that. Yes. And also a month ago, uh, more generally speaking about women's rights, here's what Senator Lindsey Graham had to say at a, uh, a rally that he was holding. Everything. <laughs> She's just got wicked. She embraced. Okay, I really hate Twitter. It doesn't let me fast forward to what I want until the video is playing. But here he is. Yeah. Yeah. I want every young woman to know there's a place for you in America if you're pro-life. Yeah. If you embrace your religion yeah. and you follow traditional family structure, that you can go anywhere, young lady. That's right. If you let us tell you what to do with your body, and if you believe in Jesus, you can go anywhere. Yeah, fuck Lindsey Graham. But you gotta let the Republicans get in there. I don't know about this penis and the vagina business, <laughs> but if you're gonna do that, you need to take responsibility, ladies. <laughs> right? Traditional like, family values. You know, it means uh, if you're gonna be a gay man, you stay in that closet. You stay in it. That's how tradition is. You call yourself a dedicated bachelor, and that's just the manliest kind of straight guy there is anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What's more straight than anal sex with another man? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing's more masculine. Anyways, um, it is alleged, by the way, that he hires male prostitutes. Which, you know, which really wouldn't be a big deal to me, except for the fact that he has been very, uh, let's just, I don't know, uh, evil when it comes to LGBTQ. Um, he, he, he actually voted against same-sex marriage. He voted for the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act because it extended the original legislation's protections to lesbians, gays, and immigrants. Uh, he is against gay people adopting children and the list goes on and on and on. So, I mean, I wouldn't care that this guy is a confirmed bachelor that hires male prostitutes and goes by the code name of lady G. If you weren't a hypocrite. Yeah, exactly. I mean, really like I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Like out of all these, you know, how old is Lindsey Graham? Like in his fifties, sixties. Yeah. And no one's come forward saying that they had, you know, he, they were a former male prostitute and had sex with him. Like, I think somebody did a few years yeah. ago, didn't they? And that's where all these allegations stem from. But he mm. and they actually people have uh, anonymously, and they say that they're afraid for their lives. Yeah, like people have come forward and said that they have been hired by him, and that's where these allegations come from. Lindsey Graham is a stern master. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. And, no, I mean, is the hypocrisy? The hypocrisy goes beyond that. Um, Lindsey Graham was a part of the Senate back when, um, uh, Bill Clinton was being impeached. And well, fuck that too. That's way yes. too long. And here's what he had to say about Bill Clinton being impeached. Please allow the facts to do the talking. Don't decide the case before the case is in. 
Don't decide the case before the case is in. And here is Lindsey Graham in 2020 during Trump's impeachment. I don't want to call anybody. We can deal with that outside of impeachment. I don't want to talk to Pompeo. I don't want to talk to Pence. But you are, along with the rest of your Senate fellows, um, jurors. Is it appropriate to be voicing your opinion even before this gets to the Senate as a trial? Well, I must think so because I'm doing it. <laughs> what a douche. He's a hypocrite. I don't understand <laughs> how every major elected Republican in this country lacks the human capacity for shame. Like, how can an entire uh, subset of human beings not experience that emotion you know what i've decided chris is like that they have collectively together decided that they don't have to be ashamed yeah all of them together as one have been like fuck it fuck everybody we don't have to be ashamed and that's all there is to it being a Republican means never having to say I'm sorry. Exactly. And they've ran with that. They just pushed the news cycle. I think that, you know, if one of them uh, has a bad story, the other one steps up and takes the heat. So then we forget about bad story and we move on to the next and they just keep revolving it. But, you know, it's more than just Republicans. It's Republican voters that don't hold their elected officials to a higher standard. You have this guy that is saying two completely different things, but uh, people go along well, with whatever he says because it benefits the party. So you have a party of cult. I mean, that goes into like this whole other huge issue that we have to talk about, like which is Fox News, if we get into that, because I would say 80% of those people don't realize how had they are like they are being the fleece just being pulled over their eyes every single day of the week by right. Fox News. We could do a whole show on that, but I mean, uh, we, we could, could do, do a, a whole month. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. a quarter. Yeah, and you know what? Fox News isn't even the worst offender anymore. There are more extreme sources right. like Breitbart, Newsmax, than one American network in Breitbart. That is Trump's news network. OAN is owned by Trump. Well, anyways, before we get too far off topic, back to back to Lindsey Graham. Lady G, Lady G, Lady <laughs> G, we, we yeah, said that he may have committed a felony, so we need to follow up on that. But we wanted to give you some background on on Lady G in case you didn't know this guy who I can't believe won re-election just, just last a uh, couple weeks ago. That's just insane to me. Um, I feel like there needs to be a recount. Let's recount new information. Well, you know, Lindsey Graham seems to have no problem asking election officials to throw out ballots and yeah. that that is why he may have committed a, fel- a felony a huge mistake the washington journal is reporting that uh, lindsey graham uh spoke to the secretary of state in georgia Bad, uh, brad raffensperger and asked him to discard some ballots in georgia and apparently there are witnesses too and attorneys are now coming out and saying that uh this is a crime. What happened was illegal and what we call a felony. Lindsey Graham asking this guy to throw out ballots. Legal ballots. Legally Legal. casted ballots. Well, yes. he, I mean, he didn't just flat out ask him. He implied. That's how they always get away with this shit. Yeah. 
It would be but real nice. Lady G's bum would be nice and and tingly if, say, a few ballots were to walk their way into a dumpster on their own. If you might know <laughs> what I mean. If you allow the Democrats to come into office, all women are going to be doing is getting abortions and voting, and we just can't have that, America. We Especially can't. not that voting part. If we allow abortions to continue, then we won't have enough labor to justify keeping immigrants out. <laughs> Who is going to serve burgers at McDonald's if these bombs aren't having the drones, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, if if there aren't children going to orphanages, who's going to be my sex slave? That's what I want to <laughs> know. Thousands, thousands of orphanages could go right out of business. Ah, <laughs> uh, that yes, what a what a bastard this guy is. But yeah. Uh, uh, Anyways, there there is heat on this guy to resign, but he's not going to. No, mm, and we're going to forget heat, about it. Where there's heat, there's fire. <laughs> well, the two, two, the two Georgia uh, Republicans that were running for office for the senator seats, uh, Kelly Loeffler, and who was the other guy? I forget what his name is. I don't is. recall. Yeah, Kelly Loeffler. Purdue. And Purdue, yeah, the chicken guy. They both wrote a letter to Raffensperger asking him to resign over all the voter fraud that took place in Georgia when there wasn't any proof of any. And in their letter to Raffensperger, they misspelled Georgia. Oh my God! I should you not. They misspelled oh Georgia. What they what they call it, George? George. I don't even. It's time that George gets a new representative. So they wow. were they were putting on a pressure campaign before Lindsey Graham even went forward with his whole pressure campaign, and when their pressure campaign didn't work. Then they sent in Lindsey Lindsey Graham, and uh, <laughs> gonna bring the in the big guns. I'll I will get the I'll, I'm gonna I'll intimidate them. People are scared of how manly I am. Well, <laughs> and then Lindsey Graham tried to lie about it, and he said that he contacted secretaries of state in Arizona and Nevada too. And almost immediately, the secretary of state from Arizona tweeted out like. He did not contact me. I never talked to him. Mm. So well, he mean, got busted in another lie right away. Listen, I didn't do I didn't do anything lie. wrong. If you you may remember, Democratic Senator Al Franken hovered his hands over a woman's chest. I didn't do that. <laughs> I don't even like boobs. Still pissed about that. He should. I won't resign. Uh, anyways, enough of this asshole. Uh, he, no, but real yes. quick though, like, yeah, why is nope. Uh, nope. Uh, South Carolina Senator contacting Secretary of State in Georgia? Like, yeah. not your state. I know it's all messed like, up. Get, uh, I mean, th know, th that's worse. It than really the, does yeah. make you wonder about the count in South Carolina after 
he goes right. into he's sticking his hand in the honey pot in other states. Like what? That's not you normal. Doing it wrong. Let me show you how you do this. Yeah. Guys ain't corrupting right. These ballots, guys. Come on. God damn. Follow my lead. Mm. Mm. Unbelievable. Between all of this, uh, this fuckery and the voter suppression, it is awesome that it was defeated just by the sheer number of Democratic voters, just sheer number of voters, period, that came out. God bless Stacey Abrams. I mean, and and the voters of Georgia, right? Like, people were waiting 10, 12 plus hours in line to vote during a pandemic. She personally registered 800,000 people. Yeah, Stacey Abrams was the shit in this election. She saved us. But uh, you guys uh, broke the uh, the news at the beginning of the show that kind of throws off our prep moving forward, though, as Dirty Deeds continues forward. Meanwhile, uh, DJT's legal defense continues to fall apart as he contests the election, which is just a whole bunch of bullshit. The Dirty Deeds. An in-depth look at this week's most important stories. How embarrassing is this? How embarrassing? He has Rudy Giuliani on TV in front of... Uh, in front of Millions of people at the beautiful Four Seasons, total landscaping, <laughs> total landscaping, giving just a, an absurd legal defense that is not holding these uh, everywhere where they're, they've, they're in court with his face melting. Right. The lawyers <laughs> for, for Trump's defense uh, uh, are, are just quitting <laughs> left and right, left and right. Nobody. And even I, uh, breaking news I saw before he came on the air, Trump has reportedly uh, spoken in private to people around him saying that he is starting to become embarrassed by his uh, lawyers, thinking that uh, they may not know what they're doing. Oh, uh, weird. But, so there's there's lawsuits in many states. What's the, what's the latest? Well, uh, Donald Trump and other Repo- Republicans have filed over 30 lawsuits across six swing states. And most of them have been shot down or withdrawn. And no court has found even a single instance of voter fraud. And, and some of, of these lawyers are quitting the case because they're realizing that if they if they lie to a judge, they can be disbarred. They're, yeah, jump, I mean, they're jumping ship. So because the judge is like the, the judge is like show me proof of voter fraud and then these lawyers are like well you know I uh, well uh, hey I gotta go <laughs> I, I, new TV I, guy. I got a roast in the oven <laughs> so out of at least thirty six filed including some not directly involving Trump but which could affect his standing at least twenty four were denied dismissed settled or withdrawn. In Pennsylvania, there are currently three lawsuits denied, one dismissed, three withdrawn, one with a review granted, four active, two pending, and one with relief granted. What I, what I found that's it, honestly the best they're doing in any state. What I found also to be really interesting, the Washington Post just uh, found that Detroit had in Michigan had more vote errors in 2016 when Trump won Michigan by a narrow margin than uh, Trump did. uh, And Trump didn't object then, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, and this has been like the big argument in Michigan altogether. So in Michigan, they've had three withdrawn and three denied. So every lawsuit there has been squashed. And then today, the Michigan board responsible for certifying the state's election results 
has approved the votes from the 2020 election despite Donald Trump's attempts to undermine the outcome. And according to the Washington Post, Detroit had, uh, well, you already talked about that. Yeah. Um, there was something else. The tables have turned against Donald Trump in the Michigan uh, showdown. A 12-page lawsuit has been filed by the Michigan Welfare Rights Organization along with Black Detroit voters Maureen Taylor, Nicole Hill, and Taisha Jones. Together, the plaintiffs claim Trump's attempts to disenfranchise Black voters who participated in the Democratic process during the 2020 presidential election are in violation of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. That leads perfectly into our guest tonight, too. Ted Johnson joining us in just a moment. They basically had every lawsuit in Michigan shot down and then they sued him back. Because Um, these votes that they want to throw out disproportionately represent minority voters. It's all in minority held areas. The racism continues. And it's in every state. Every state, every battleground state, Wisconsin, there's been one and it's been dismissed. Arizona, there's been two, they've been dismissed. Nevada, there's five active and two so far have been dismissed. In Georgia, there's been three and they've been dismissed. All right, we are back here live on Adobe Radio. How's everybody doing? It's news to us. Our guest is Ted Johnson. He is a retired military officer and a senior fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice. His work explores the role that race plays in politics and public policy and has appeared in the the Washington Post, New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic, and others. And he has a book coming out this spring, When the Stars Begin to Fall. Dr. Ted Johnson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We really appreciate you coming on during this crucial moment in the country where a lot of us are just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And I know that this must be happening on both sides of the aisle. But uh, to many of us, including us on this show, we were kind of shocked when we saw that uh, 73 million Americans voted for a racist. We were like, what the hell is going on right here? Uh, we, We thought it would be a blowout. Were you as shocked by this as we were? Uh, no, not at all, and mostly because uh, most Americans vote on party lines, and who the candidate is, again, for the vast majority of Americans, doesn't matter as much as which party the candidate belongs to. So the fact that 73 million Americans voted for a Republican and 79 and a half or so million Americans voted for a Democrat means that the country is about evenly divided between the two parties, and that's what we've been seeing for decades now. The biggest difference is that there was high turnout in this past election, which proves another point. Uh, Democrats have been fond of saying when turnout is high, we win elections. And they did a pretty good job at the presidential level this time out, even though down ballot, maybe not as as well. But what we know about non-voters is that they break at about the same rate to Democrats and Republicans as voters do. So the high turnout didn't really advantage one party over another. It just showed that there are lots of Republican-leaning uh, voters and lots of Democratic-leaning voters. And that's uh, that's what the outcome of this presidential election has, has uh, showed us. It was high voter turnout, but do you think it was a fair high voter turnout? Because the, mm. we know that there's a lot of suppression happening in all parts of the country and gerrymandering. Do you think maybe 
with that in mind that high voter turnout could actually benefit a Democratic ticket? Well, so I, I think, without a doubt, voter suppression was happening in a number of states. In the old traditional ways of, of not allowing certain IDs to be counted or clo- closing of polling stations or making people wait 9, 10 um, hours to, to cast the ballot. Um, and then in newer ways, uh, because of coronavirus uh, stipulations put in place, ostensibly for public health purposes, also had the, the um, added benefit for, for one side of also being voter suppression. But here's what we learned in 2020 is that no matter what sort of obstacle you put in the way of voters, when you try to deny people their agency to participate in the electoral process, they will find ways to participate anyhow. And this is why our, the data that we have on voter suppression, while we know it exists, if you only look at electoral outcomes and people's turnout rates to prove voter suppression is working, sometimes the case is inconclusive because the will of the American people can often beat out voter suppression measures, especially in high stakes elections like the presidential election. And frankly, we saw this in Alabama a few years ago in the special senatorial election where a Democrat, Doug Jones, wins in red Alabama because even though Alabama has some of the strictest voter ID requirements in the country, uh, black voters in particular managed to find a way to overcome those obstacles and participate anyhow. The voter suppression was real. Uh, coronavirus had an uh, absolute effect on uh, the ease or, or lack thereof of which voter, voters could participate in this election. But um, the will of the voter to not be denied their their voice was the, the real story of the 2020 election. Um, in The Atlantic recently, you had a really interesting quote that said when the nation accepted racial oppression, the Constitution allowed it. And when it determined that state sanctioned racial discrimination was no longer tolerable, the Constitution nodded in agreement. If the court now decides that policies attempting to right past wrongs are unconstitutional, they will be so until we, the people, compel it to say otherwise. Mm. How do you think that that fits into what we're seeing right now with our current government. I mean, how do we change the air of our ways? Yeah, it's so interesting um, how the, the even those who believe the Constitution is a perfect document and that the, the words in the Constitution mean what they mean and we shouldn't sort of reinterpret it, still find ways to reinterpret it depending on the, the state of our society. So when racial segregation was seen as constitutional, everyone found or lots of people found justification for that in the language. And now when things like affirmative action come up or things like the Voting Rights Act come up, they say, wait, the Constitution is colorblind. It doesn't see race. So over the course of our lifetime, the Constitution first saw color when it was used to oppress people of color, and now it doesn't see color, and it still has the same effect of oppressing or at least discriminating uh, against people of color. So the problem isn't the Constitution. The problem is our interpretation of the Constitution and our willingness to allow a particular racial hierarchy to remain in our society, even as we've realized progress over the last couple of of decades, and and actually the last few decades. So what that means for the 2020 election 
is um, so, for example, you have lots of Black Lives Matter folks protesting, kneeling during the national anthem, protesting in the streets, uh, in confrontations with law enforcement. And folks are saying this is not the appropriate way to protest. You know, can't you find some other way? Can't you find some, you know, why don't you love America? And then these same folks go out and vote at extremely high rates. And now they're trying to disqualify the votes in places like Detroit. What I found to be interesting, though, is that Trump's Hispanic vote turnout actually climbed to 32% mm. this election cycle versus 28% in 2016. Oh, I mean, do you have any any explanation? I know that you probably don't have the answer to that, but like, how are you feeling about that? Why, why do you think maybe that might be? Maybe you've come across some, some data yeah. and read some things. What do you think? Yeah, so it's really interesting that so the, the the Hispanic vote, of course, isn't as monolithic as the black vote is. And by this, I mean, over the last nearly six decades, about 90 percent on average of black Americans have voted for the Democratic candidate in presidential and congressional races. But no other race or ethnicity as votes as uniformly as black Americans do. And certainly not other uh, people of color, because uh, Hispanic Americans don't all come from the same the same culture or, or custom or historical experience. So Mexican Americans are lumped in with Cuban Americans and Venezuelan Americans and Puerto Ricans and Dominicans, even though they all have very different lived and historical experiences. So I think what we saw um, in this election, one is uh, Donald Trump did much better with um, Cuban Americans and Venezuelan Americans in Florida, for example. And part of that is because uh, the Republican Party really tried to label Biden-Harris ticket and the Democratic Party writ large as a party trending towards socialism. And if you're from Cuba or from Venezuela, you do not have fond memories of socialism. And so that messaging to those communities uh, works in a different way than it would for other members of, of the you know Hispanic ethnicity. So what we see is basically uh, – Hispanic Americans in South Florida closed the margin between Trump and Biden such that Trump won Florida, even though going the polling suggested he was down four or five points on Election Day. And that was in large part due to Cuban and Venezuelan Americans who had closed, helped close the gap. Simultaneously, we see Mexican Americans, um, Tejanos in Nevada and Arizona help Biden win those states. So Hispanic Americans at once delivered Nevada and his Arizona to Democrats and Florida and probably Texas to uh, to Donald Trump, to Republicans. And this goes to show that you cannot paint the Hispanic American electorate with a broad brush because they come from such different uh, experiences. And I think the we've seen there were some disinformation ads around socialism and the Democratic Party that were running in South Florida uh, and in parts of Texas. Uh, the immigration question is not a straightforward proposition with lots of Hispanic Americans. And so I think uh, Donald Trump was able to uh, target specific parts of the Hispanic electorate and uh, met with some success, some success. It was marginal, you know, four or five percent increases, but sufficient enough in states like Florida to to overcome the uh, the large margins that he was losing by in the uh, the most populous parts of the state that helped him uh, ultimately carry the state. Do you think uh, forecasters have been overly optimistic about the prospect of uh, Texas turning blue in the next decade, or just the idea that the general demographic shift in America is going to 
isolate and choke off the Republican Party in a couple decades. Do you think that is a plausible scenario, or do you think the Republican Party will be uh, forced to adapt to uh, meet these realities? Yeah, and so what I think is that a lot of folks look at the increasing number of voting eligible people of color growing in the nation and thought that that would translate to election turnout, which would flip states like like Texas and Florida and did flip um, Arizona in this past election, for example. Um, but here's the gap the, the, that in this election, one in three voting eligible uh, Americans were people of color, the highest it's ever been, um, certainly in um, uh, nationally uh, uh, in our history. Yet three in four people who voted were white Americans. And this is because white Americans vote at a higher rate than people of color do. And that's been the case in every election uh, except for 2012, where black Americans slightly outperformed white Americans for the first time since probably Reconstruction in a, in a number of states. So, um, so where the the disconnect is is that just because you have a growing voting eligible population doesn't mean that that population participates at the same rate that white Americans do. And until that happens, then Republicans will be able to win elections without expanding their tent to include people of color. And 2020 proved it. I mean, look, Donald Trump basically lost this election because of about 50,000 states, 50,000 votes over three or four states. And, um, and the Republicans gained seats in the House and may hold on to the Senate, depending on what happens in Georgia. Uh, that doesn't signal a party that is um, in danger because of demographic shift. It signals a party that is believing that white Americans will continue to turn out at such a high rate that as long as they can continue winning white Americans, which they are, Donald Trump won um, over 55 percent of white Americans um, in this election, then they, they continue to win nationally and may be able to take back the House, especially if uh, they can paint the Democratic Party as moving too far left. So uh, trusting a demographic shift to naturally deliver uh, votes to Democrats is a bad strategy. Democrats will have to be extremely motivated in mobilizing communities of color, providing resources to grassroots organizations to get black and brown uh, and Asian American voters out to the polls, uh, because when that happens, they tend to do better. But um, the, the, the demographic shift in and of itself is not going to bear fruit for the Democratic Party for a few decades, is my guess, because of the turnout rates. Unless, of course, they again, they're they're very uh, intentional in at getting those folks out to vote. Dividing a country and pitting it against itself, especially with something like race, is very sad to me personally. I mean, growing up as a kid, mm. didn't have a, I mean, I, just a basic public uh, school education, and we were always taught, you know, this is not right. And 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 when you guys grow up, we're going to have a society where everybody holds hands and hugs and and, and is in harmony, but. Now we're seeing this society where we're more divided than ever. Is this really sustainable for democracy as a whole? And if not, do you feel that the Republican Party is actively trying to dismantle the, the democracy? 
so it is not sustainable. It's, it's not. And while the United States has proven over the course of its history that it can manage just fine with racism, I mean, we did it you know, a, a, over 100 years of slavery before the country began, after the country was, was founded, still another 80, 90 years of slavery, and then another century of, of Jim Crow. So um, the United States can survive, but the American ideals cannot. You cannot believe in equality and liberty and freedom and also believe in racial segregation and uh, and racial animus, especially when one party is able to leverage it for political gain. So the, the real issue, the real problem is that as the parties have become more divided and begin to view one another as existential threats to each other and to the nation as a whole, they're also becoming more racialized, where more black folks are moving into one party, more people of color writ large are moving into the Democratic Party with some few exceptions, and the Republican Party is becoming more white. This is horrible for the country, for party to align with race and then to align with uh, political ideologies that are polarizing and moving further and further apart from one another. It's not sustainable because then either side, when they view the other as an existential threat, they will do whatever it takes, even if it means undermining democratic uh, principles in order to remain in power and run the country as they see fit, not compromising, not providing good government governance, but acting in a winner take all um, in a winner takes all way with that mindset that then means that they will destroy foundations of democracy just to win elections. So the way ahead, I think we have to realize, and it's going to require strong leadership and probably some democratic reform to help people see that the white working class factory guy in Ohio has a lot in common with the black farmer in Mississippi and the you know working class um, Hispanic woman in New York City, that they're not getting from government what they're putting into it, that government is not being responsive to them, and that racism itself is a crime of the state and not a matter of whether people are not have uh, hatred in their hearts or not. So uh, the, the sooner the people recognize that government is, is allowing, is fostering these racial tensions in order to keep the people divided and so that those with power can stay there, uh, the longer we will be uh, unable to achieve the, the ideals that the country stands for. I absolutely believe that there are politicians that are exploiting racial tensions for political gain. That's how it's been since the country was founded. That, and that, that will continue to be the case until either some calamity happens, and uh, it must be a major one because if COVID wasn't sufficient, I, I don't know what I was gonna will say, be. Well, I was going to say, come on, we have 250,000 people dead, uh, climbing probably even more. Exactly. And I was going to say, when, when this COVID thing first hit, to, to me I was thinking, yes, in a way, in a way, don't get me wrong here, it's uh, horrible and I... Hate it, hate it, hate it. But in a way, I was thinking maybe this will finally bring the country together. And I was so mm-hmm. disappointed, so disappointed. Like after after nine eleven, we had two thousand Americans die in that horrible tragedy. Tragedy, but we all came together to try to heal as a country, even if it were for a few weeks. We all band together and try to get through it together. There was no right or left, and this did not happen with COVID because it, it maybe because it was a slow motion. Nine eleven. I don't know, but I, yeah, and it's hard to see. I mean, like nine eleven, the enemy was easy to spot. I mean, you you watched the destruction happen in a very visceral way, um, and a virus is is harder to rally against because it's invisible. You don't see it. But I think the real issue here was 
lack of national leadership. Um, whether or not one wears a mask became a political matter instead of one of public health. Uh, what we call the virus, you have some calling it the Chinese flu or the Wuhan virus, these, these xenophobic and racist terms, um, which then pits people against one another instead of marshalling our will against the crisis. So a lack of leadership and uh, the, the very particular nature of a slow-moving crisis, uh, even when it, you know, it, it, people were dying by the thousands or certainly by the hundreds daily, uh, that it, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that we weren't able to come together over this. It was a perfect opportunity, and it was squandered um, in, in, in the face of uh, political expedience. Uh, the last thing I'll say on this, though, is I do think we've seen some, some good signs, and frankly, it was after the tragedy of George Floyd's killing on Memorial Day, we saw a summer of racial justice protests where people across generation, class, ethnicity, religion, region, all marching together, uh, recognizing that the state had abused its power and that uh, the people were, were unhappy with it and were holding it to account. So where we failed in with coronavirus, I think we got a glimpse of it in the racial justice protests that occupied most of the summer. Right. Right. That's a great point. And I, I, that did, I do remember feeling that way too, during those protests it was really good to see people of all, of all races and ages and coming together. And, and um, yeah, it really was good. So uh, before we let you go though, we, what is happening at the Brennan center for justice? What are you, what, what is going on there right now? What should everybody be aware of? Yeah. So the Brennan Center for Justice is a nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank and legal advocacy firm. And we're focused on the democratic process, voting rights for campaign finance reform, uh, getting rid of gerrymandering, also ending mass incarceration and protecting people's civil liberties from government surveillance for things like immigration and, you know, accusing all Muslims of being terrorists. So we, we, those are the sort of the big lanes where we work in. The big fight we have right now, though, is ensuring that states that are counting their votes are able to do do so unhampered by interference from the Trump campaign trying to um, accuse state officials of voter fraud or voters of, of cheating or whatever. So we are filing lawsuits on behalf of the people and be on behalf of states to stop frivolous lawsuits and to protect the rights of voters to ensure their votes are being counted. Uh, we're also trying to re-enfranchise those uh, voters who had their rights taken from them because of an incarceration, um, and as well as um, getting rid of things like cash bail, you know, pr- protecting ballot initiatives that were also on the ballot alongside presidential elections. So we are extremely active right now and probably uh, about 20 states to ensure that the votes that people cast are counted and that they're not discarded because of political uh, expedience or, or trying to change the outcome of elections that happen fairly. Yes, thank you so much for that work, and we were talking about that earlier in the show, and it's not looking good for Trump's legal defense as uh, cases are being not at all. <laughs> thrown out left and right. Yeah, I mean, is there any yeah. is there any way to hold some of these idiot lawyers personally responsible? Shouldn't they be disbarred for having these frivolous lawsuits put forth and on such a massive scale? Yeah, there's. I mean, there's certainly talk talk about this exactly. Uh, the notion the nation knows, lawyers know that this is an unacceptable activity uh, in the the wake of a fair election, and and certainly I think uh, campaigns that are looking for lawyers to do this kind of work should be discouraged from doing so by making uh, you know dealing with the current slate of folks with a heavy hand. We'll, we'll see. And that individual may or may not rhyme with Rudy Giuliani. 
So I'll just, <laughs> uh, but uh, Dr. Ted Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll look for your book, When the Stars Begin to Fall. That's out actually this Absolutely. spring. And um, yep, yes. and available for pre-order now. So you can, you'll find it on Amazon. Excellent. And we look forward to speaking with you again in the future. And uh, thank you for fighting the good fight for America. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It was very enlightening. Appreciate it. There he is, Dr. Ted Johnson. Okay, we'll be right back. All right, we're back. It's news to us. Thanks to our guest tonight. Um, yeah. Jason had an interesting question during the break that he brought up off the air. They didn't want I don't us. think we have time for it, though. It is a pretty deep question, but we do have like uh, four minutes here, so... Well, I'll pose it, and we'll see where it goes. But, uh, otherwise, I could talk you know, about a fourth grader being suspended for having a BB gun in his classroom. That's like what I have as a fallback here, so I think yours is better. Fine. So <laughs> one of the questions I wanted to ask our guest, Ted Johnson, uh, was as we move a l- uh, away from the civil rights era, do you believe racism will begin to fade away as you know uh, people from that generation and their parents, you know, they were children of... Uh, people who were more racist like as we move away from that era do you be, do you think racism will uh slowly go away eddie said no he thinks it's here to stay i mean uh, i gotta yeah chris go ahead yeah, no, 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 no you go ahead you. chris you go ahead chris i, I can okay, give my ahead, thoughts chris. later yeah i was just gonna say uh that i agree with eddie i don't think it's gonna go away until uh some distant future point uh, assuming globalization continues and we continue to uh, you know intermarry and uh, you know eventually the idea of race will get away because everybody will just get browner and browner uh, maybe at that point we can uh, we can look for its end but not before that i think it's too powerful a weapon for those who would who would wield it yeah i think jason's being a bit of an optimist too because uh, how long i mean look at look at how long racism has been in america and you think if it's just a generational thing that would have been gone by now but we still see it just as strong as the civil war well maybe not just as strong made a lot of moves though right you know like there's been it's advancements. Not be easy. It's not. It's not going to be instant. But. but that makes the opposition even more angry. I, I don't know. I guess I'm a pessimist, and I, I just I've seen um, the worst of human nature. I feel like in this these past four years, and I thought that, that I thought we were past. Do you think uh, majority of Americans are more accepting now than they were 50 years ago? I don't know. I do think so. I think so. So aren't we on the I right track? I don't like, know. If we I, look I, at that. I don't know if you're like, right are, or not. Are are we? Tr- yeah, I think so. I I, I definitely. That's think just we're all speculating here. What does that even mean? More accepting? I mean, I, they're more accepting of people of color, or I don't think that's know, true. I mean, gender, or you know, I don't know anything. Be I just think don't think maybe of maybe everyone you're looking, else. You're looking at like that. the media portrayal of things. I think that there's always been a lot of people in society who are accepting, but you never would see that on a. No, mass. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at you know Trump's base is at what 35 percent who are like diehard supporters. Yeah, I don't know. We're all we're like debating hypotheticals here, so whatever. But yeah, 
It seems like, you know, Republicans, you know, they haven't won the popular vote except for once in the last, what, 20 something years. Yeah. True. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking about actual like data. Like, isn't that a trajectory we can look at and say, yes, we're moving in the right way. Yeah. Now, if you get money out of politics, you get, you know, the super PACs and you get gerrymandering out of it, it'd be even greater, right? We would, society would move even further along if we did those things. Correct? When you say further along, though, you're threatening other people's way of life. That's one I'm thing that's really the scary. powerful. No, the other people. people. Who want power or money? Who? Who am I threatening? You're threatening the people who are uh, racists. Like you're threatening their. When you say move forward, to them it's moving backward. That's the problem. How is it moving backward? That's to the, that's what they think. Well, I don't you understand know, I, that argument. I think that uh, some people believe that in order for themselves or their friends and family, their community, whatever, to be up or be successful and be doing well necessarily implies that somebody else needs to be doing poorly and that somebody has to be down uh, right. just because of a zero sum of resources or, right. there, or there's maybe this. just because of a, you know, the way we compare and contrast our sense of success uh, to others that uh, yeah I think that's the, uh, one of the big poisons right now that is fueling continues to fuel racism is this uh, mistaken notion that we can't all thrive better together collectively that we can't all that there's have better health care or that we can't have a a fairer tax code or that we can't uh, have more workers rights etc etc on and on I think for some people it just is uh, you know it doesn't track their worldview. It isn't maybe sophisticated enough yet to to, to grapple with that idea it, you're right I think uh, we, we're, we're uh, told that there is a scarcity of resources when in reality there's really not we're, we're being lied to in, in that in that regard and that divides us are you a socialist get him get him <laughs> all right thanks everybody Appreciate it very much, Tim Apple.